The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome. I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. Most of us would say we know the men in our lives, the fathers, spouses, partners, sons, friends, colleagues. That said, we usually know when they are happy about something they've achieved, and we may know that they are angry when someone cuts them off driving, but often it is much harder to know when they are sad or depressed, worried, frightened, or embarrassed. Why? Actually, that's the topic of our show, The Secret Lives of Men, and we are so fortunate to have as our guest and expert, calling in all the way from the UK, James Whores, the author of The Secret Lives of Men, Ten Keys to Unlock the Mystery. He will be drawing upon his years of clinical experience with men, as well as research and his book, to discuss the factors that often lock men out of their feelings. He'll be inviting them to consider strategies to really embrace and expand their emotional well-being. James Hawes is an experienced psychotherapist and counselor and an accredited and registered member of the British Association for Counselors and Psychotherapists in the UK. He's a clinical supervisor and he has a private practice in Nottingham where 95% of his clients are male. He also works as a school counselor two days a week and a trainer delivering workshops and presentations on topics of working with men and boys, including... Seven Tips on Working Successfully with Men in Therapy, Effective Anger Management Tools for Working with Men, Working with Men, Intimacy, and Shame. At this time, he's about to launch Emotional Gym, an online emotional fitness hub that we'll be speaking about at the end of the show. He's been part of a men's group for the past 18 years. He's married and is the father of two teenage boys. James Hawes, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you today. Okay. So one of the things you do when you start your book is you say you recognize that men are different and there's even many ways of being a man, but you have a feeling most of what you say will be applicable in some way to most listeners and readers. Now, the topic is men's difficulty accessing and expressing feelings. What do you think is the, the cause of that? What are some of the factors, James, behind that? Okay, so I, I think it, as I explore and expand in my book, I think it's something to do with the way that men have been made, boys and men have been made. So when I talk uh, to men about emotions, um, I, I, we often talk about what I call the unwritten rules that we all know, we've never seen written down. Um, some people call it the male code. So things like what boys have learned very early on is that the message is big boys don't cry. 
Um, so if, if we start with that message of, oh, well, big boys don't cry, we mustn't show our um, vulnerable emotions, be that kind of sadness or anxiety or shame or hurt or disappointment, then we move away from those difficult um, uh, emotions and we kind of reduce the spectrum of emotions. So I tend to um, feel that many boys and men have been almost traumatized through um, restriction or constriction of emotions. Um, They have not been allowed ultimately through culture or through media or through their parents or through their peers to be able to express this full spectrum of emotions. And so I often feel that uh, what men are often left with is the default emotion of anger where Mm -hmm. they squeeze all of their emotions out through anger. And as you rightly say, I think often by the the age that boys have gotten by 10 10 years old, certainly in the UK, they've only got two emotions, and that's anger and laughter. And laughter usually at another person's expense. Mm -hmm. Now, there are places in society, I think, which sanction, um, uh, 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 kind of uh, allow men to express the full spectrum of emotions. And one of the key parts, key places for that is sport now yes. if you go to big sporting events and i often say that when in 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 the uk you know so football or soccer is one of the biggest um games played when the goal hits the back when the ball hits the back of the net you know you will see men on the pitch and, and off the pitch express a full gambit of emotions and nobody will care they will be dancing kissing hugging right. jumping up on, on top of each other there will be the biggest smile you ever see from a man's man more than when he's ever had his have had his children and everything goes and also when the team loses there'll be tears nobody's nobody cares absolutely fine yes, when when your yeah. team loses there'll be anxiety there'll be there'll be all of those emotions and of course there'll be anger so I think we've kind of sanctioned, okay, men, you can express your emotions there, but nowhere else. It's very interesting. It's very comparable here, too, when you watch the Super Bowl, you watch the football games, etc. Um, I do think that it's complicated for men because even if they come from a family where there is some invitation to express feelings, they likely are back out in the culture. Um, and mm-hmm. when, I think, when I think about it, so... I, as a as a mother and who is who is a therapist, I think I would invite it, but I didn't often get a response of a full sharing of feelings. I used to tell one son, "I think you're a CIA agent because there's nothing you're going to reveal to me." But I but I actually think it's complicated because. Some families have no interest in sharing feelings, or as you say, if a kid comes home and says he's bullied and he's a male, someone will say, what are you going to do about it? And if it's a female, mm. someone will say, oh, my God, how do you feel? So we, mm. there, is, there is a complicated messaging that goes on. And certainly, even though they do get that opportunity to show feelings with sports, they can often have a coach who tolerates nothing but being tough. And um, really doesn't really allow anybody to even share how they feel about what happened in the game. But so if we start with that, the other question I wanted to ask you before we go into some of your key factors is people talk about toxic masculinity, James, or this 
hegemonic. I think you say hegemonic mm. in the UK, masculinity. Yes. You correct me. So what does that yes. mean for our listeners? Well, in, in hege, hege, hegemonic or toxic masculinity? Um, either one. Okay. So, I mean, I think that uh, toxic, the, I, the concept of toxic masculinity, which I, I don't tend to like to use, I think it's been kind of taken, if you like, out of context. Um, the, the idea that masculinity, the construct of masculinity, if you like, is, is poisonous. Um, I think what it was, the, the term came from the way, the, the, fact, the, the understanding that um, some aspects of the construct of masculinity harms boys and men. And I, and I would concur with that, as I said, that kind of trauma of emotional restriction. So it, it can be harmful to men. And I do a lot of work, this idea that, look, to be a man or what we feel about being a man, there is no one way of being a man. There is no, uh, there is, there's many ways of being a man, um, but there are some parts of that construct, what we've learned about being a man, that can be harmful to us. The hegemonic eye concept is the, the view of a dominant, dominant way of being a man, a dominant masculinity. So kind of this is the hierarchy of masculinity. Mm-hmm. So we, in this country, we, we would use the language of the kind of real man discourse. You are a real man if you do this or if you behave in this way. And that's kind of describing ultimately a way of culturally saying hegemonic. There is one way of being a man. If you don't abide by those rules, you're going to be less than a man, which I think is absolutely quite harmful. Yes, because most men want to be part of the tribe. They want to be respected by the others. So I agree with you. It locks out different personalities, different different men, it does lock them out and gives only one definition. Thank you. That's Those are beautiful examples. Okay. So the mm. question is, and it, it occurs to me, but you have mostly a male practice. If men have such difficulty expressing feelings, James, what brings them to therapy? <laughs> yes, well, I think it's, it's definitely in the UK. We've seen a lot more men coming to therapy over the last, uh, definitely within the last decade. And, and I suppose in terms of what brings men to therapy, uh, um, generally, I still think, which I think is slightly different to women, not always, but is, is a crisis. Um, mm-hmm. When basically the, a, a, a crisis, when their world um, is imploding and they have run out of any of the um, self Um, reliance, they have no idea what to do anymore, and they then, which often I think men do struggle, asking for help, they are then going, okay, I really do need now to go to see a professional. So these issues might be typically if their relationship is breaking up, if they have been made redundant from their work, if they are out of control in terms of some substance abuse or anger issues, um, where that, that is absolutely causing a problem in terms of their relationship, um, or it could be often now more in terms of their struggling with depression or anxiety. And of course, uh, and maybe not of course, but a lot of my um, uh, uh, um, male clients, um, well, when I say a lot, let me say perhaps at least 35% of them will come with because of a nudge from their female partner or from their mother. 
in terms yes. of you need to go and get help. I, and, and because men classically are not looking after themselves, often physically, but almost always emotionally, then they need a nudge to get them to therapy. Absolutely. I have seen similar things. And some people have said to me, because so many people talk about narcissistic men, what brings narcissistic men? I go, oh, they don't come until their world collapses, at which yeah. point there's no mm. many, not many more options. But the other reason you're implying is, which is pertinent to your book and what you do, is men often don't have the bandwidth to deal with the leading up to the breakup of the marriage or to the dealing with the loss of the job. They simply don't. And um, mm. when they come, they come cautiously and they then often show true relief at the opportunity to be with you. Mm. No, so, exactly that. I think, yep. Yeah, so, so in terms of the factors, let's go into the fact is that we want to expand for men, but I love your 10 keys. So let's start with that. Your first key is feelings are like a foreign language to men. What can you tell yeah, us so about I, that? I can, yes. With, um, yes, so we've partly spoken a little bit about this, but um, th this idea that, you know, men do not have enough feeling language. So as a therapist, I very rarely ask men, how do they feel? And if I do, they will probably reply with one of six words. Okay, not bad, fine, all right, normal. And that's <laughs> all they've got. And, and there is a term, and I think it came from psychiatrists in America, called alexithemia, which ultimately yeah. means no words for emotion. And so, and I think many men have this, have alexithemia. And this has come through the construct of how we have made men in society. We have not given them language for their feelings. So they don't have language for their feelings. Like you say, you know, a lot of teenage boys and a lot of other men, they, they just don't know what they feel. They have no concept because they can't label, label it. And labeling it is very important. And if we haven't got the ability to label it, then um, it becomes problematic. And so when I use the concept of feelings are like a foreign language, I mean, we have this old thing in Britain, you know, when, when British go, go abroad, you know, we, there's, a, there's a kind of slight arrogance in terms of um, not wanting to learn or don't think we should be learning another, another language. And so mm -hmm. we, we classically say, okay, we're going to speak slower and louder in English. <laughs> and surely you will, you will be able to understand us then. And that's kind of often how men can communicate yes. to, to women often when, they, when they're not understood. A woman might say, I have no idea what you're saying. And so the only thing a man's got, okay, I'll speak slower and I'll speak louder. And <laughs> it's almost like, no, you need to you, expand what you're saying. Say something different. I, I'm not the problem here. And so the idea of being able to say, okay, we need to therefore, and this is a lot of my work, help men develop emotional fitness. Um, be it, how do we start to exercise our emotions? How do we build emotional muscle? How do we start to tone up those muscles that are very flabby and we don't even know that we've got? And this is what I kind of mean and a big part of my work around um, helping men 
um, to develop um, a more of a feeling base, ultimately. Well, one of the I love your strategy for um, expanding the, the the feeling base and the expression of it. You call it aware. Um, mm. Now we might have to stop for a break, but let's just let's just go through it really quickly because it's just terrific. So A starts with attention to mind and body. You say symptoms as information. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, again, I often say that men are out of touch with their bodies. We build our bodies, we work our bodies, we beat our bodies, we shred our bodies. Few of us have learned to listen to our bodies. And the body and the emotion are one. So the, one of the big things is let's become more attentive to our tensions, to our bodies. Listen to them. Listen, listen to your, when you listen to your body, more connected to your body, there's a, that you'll be likely be more connected to your emotions, your feelings. Well, it's like when people say, I have a serious uh, back problem today. And if you invite them to consider if they've had stress or a migraine or, I mean, the translation is right there. Now, one of the things you offer in this section is you talk about the word bank and you offer this wonderful wheel of words. I thought it was so great. I want to Xerox it and use it with my grandchildren because it is such a it would be such a fun thing to have to choose a word and then use it i think everybody could use the expansion of words because i really do think you really capture it when you say that people just repeat particularly men the same thing over and over louder and louder and one of your suggestions is for them to ask what part of what i'm saying don't you understand, which is a great intervention. Mm. Yeah, because yes, I think I developed it myself when I was stuck on this kind of, you know, I didn't have anything else, uh, certainly with my wife, and thinking, well, it, it kind of, uh, I think it's a prevention of going into shame, actually, um, mm. of, of questioning ourselves. And I think often, you know, certainly in my own history past, and often men, if, if we feel we're not being understood. It's like, well, it's your problem. You know, you're doing, you know, often we hear, man, you're doing my head in. You know what's going on. Almost like, you should know what's going on inside of my head. <laughs> Rather than the sense of, okay, let me take responsibility for my language. Let me take responsibility for my communication. That other person is not understanding. I, I'm not sure why they're not understanding, but maybe a little trick to help me expand or change what I'm saying is to throw that one out almost, okay, can you just help me? Um, again, pretty difficult thing for a lot of men to ask for. Um, you know, which bit? You know, which, which bit of what I said you didn't understand? Yes, it's, it's terrific. You know, we're going to take a break right here. You've been listening to yep. Psych Up Live. We're here with James Howes. He's an experienced psychotherapist and counselor, and he's the author of a terrific new book, The Secret Lives of Men, 10 Keys to Unlock the Mystery. Stay with us. Much more to come. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back, folks. We're here with James Howes, and he's an experienced psychotherapist. He's actually drawing from his new and important book, The Secret Lives of Men, Ten Keys to Unlock the Mystery. And we are just ready to talk about key two, second key, prove masculinity. James, what can you tell us about that? So I, we kind of started on this a little bit early in terms of the idea that um, men, the, the kind of random real man discourse, that often boys and men have learned that to be a man, they must follow certain rules. Um, and these rules um, buy into this kind of concept of the real man discourse, or they could be language like, you know, what we often hear, which are, it can be quite destructive, like, be a man, man up, are you man enough, what sort of man are you, call yourself mm. a man, um, mm. are you man or man, grow some balls, so on and so forth. And so this, this idea, idea that ultimately to be a man um, is, is, you know, you have to follow certain rules and it's almost like the gender police, as I describe it. Yes. If you actually go against these rules, that's when you'll then be accused of, oh, man up. You know, what sort of man are you? You know, so we're kind of conditioned on our gender. So mm-hmm. what, I, what I describe masculinity as being a slippery concept. It's 
almost like we have to constantly be on the lookout for the gender police to, uh, to catch us out, and we have to constantly try and prove ourselves, which is exhausting. And, yes. of course, can lead to men getting into some difficult positions. And I, I think at the core of some of this um, a bit needing to prove ourselves is the sense of not ultimately perhaps feeling accepted, that we feel we need to constantly keep looking for approval, proving ourselves. And I often think, what is it that drives men to go up and get more and more and more? There's never enough. And it's always the external that finally, if I have, if I've got that, or if I've got that, then I will, I will finally be a man. Um, and of course, it never happens. Because ultimately, we maybe have to go inside rather than outside to kind of become more tuned to ourselves. Very often, I've seen that it really takes courage on the part of a young person and very often connection. So that if they connect with another kid who, let's say, is a musician, who are ignoring the comments, um, you know, as they're passing a team of bullies, um, they do a little bit better. Very often the therapist can be, can be the other man in the person's life. But it's, and it's very, very difficult. But, and what, I wonder, do you think this is true, that the online option for young people has given them alternatives or a way to minimize the feeling of being left out by the male stereotype group? Uh, it's absolutely given another option, hasn't it? It's given a breadth of um, different masculinities, which I think can be very helpful um, for boys and men. Mm. It's one of the things you say, you say it well, you say when men question and reject this stereotype, then they are free to be real men. Because it's authenticity that really is about emotional health. And it is so thrilling when you find that a young person or even adult man finds a buddy, someone who gets them. Uh, you know, whether they're going to write a play together or whether they're going to golf together, they get someone gets them in a way that makes them feel they belong. And so it, that, that's a real difficult one, but it's one that has ways out. Another key you talk about, James, is shame as a silent terror. Yes. Um, well, so, I mean, shame, I suppose, and when I discuss shame, I talk in the book about, um, and as I often do about lots of different emotions, um, uh, the healthy expression of an emotion and an unhealthy expression of emotion. So shame in its healthy sense is, is absolutely a fine thing um, if we can kind of connect with that. But what I'm kind of describing often that a lot of men struggle with is this unhealthy kind of expression or feeling of shame. So, and I think this does connect often with the idea of the um, proven masculinity. So I think a lot of men end up living inside um, and because there is, it's so fearful. Will I put a foot wrong? Will I do or say the wrong thing? Will I be mocked? Will I be laughed at? Will I be the whipping boy? Will I, will I actually miss the mark of masculinity? So it becomes such a powerful thing. And, and a lot of the work I do with men increasingly, I think, is based around shame. And some men 
will not go anywhere near it. Even mention the name, I mean, saying shame is almost mm-hmm. too much for them. But there's mm-hmm. that sense of actually when we can name our shame, when we have the courage to talk about what goes on in us, that is a really healthy thing. That's why I'm a real passionate about groups, men's groups, that, because I think there's a great possibility of de-shaming. When I, and so often I've been in men's groups where one man will say something about what's going on inside their lives and the other man are all nodding away. Oh, that happens to me. Yes. Oh, oh, really? Yes. I've yes. never heard yes. that before because I've never dared speak that before. And suddenly that man is almost, oh, my goodness, I'm not the only one. Yep. And that's the gift. That's the gift of group and when men actually talk because ultimately what the male code does is silence men. It yes. distances men. It isolates men. And when we start to talk and when men come to therapy, of course, they're saying to me, oh, you know, come up with something that I think I've never spoken, I've never said this to another, another human being in my life. And I'm just thinking, and I'm sitting there unshocked and, re- and thinking, yeah, I've heard this so many times. This is, this mm-hmm. is not unusual. And it's such a relief for them. Because, but that takes off the big courage. We often say that guilt has to do with what you did and shame has to do with who you are. And you can change what you did, but you can feel stuck with being shamed and carrying that sense of shame. So the opportunity, I couldn't agree more, with men being with other men who have a chance to put words to it. I've worked with men who have been abused. They carry the shame of it. And when they meet, it is dramatic. It is dramatic for them to find out I'm not the only one and it is not our fault and they can unload that shame and really re- return to a, a good sense of self. So when you when you discussed it in the book, your groups, I thought this is exactly how, how I have experienced it and I think probably many listeners who've been in groups have experienced mm. it. It's terrific. Now your next mm. your next key, number four, is size really matters. Yes. So um <laughs> There, there's, there's a whole, I suppose, this sense of, the, you know, within the, with a lot of men in terms of, around, um, I don't know if I can say this on your show, but penis size, there's, mm-hmm. there's that idea that, yes, you know, men must be big. And I, if we, it's not just about that, but it's about everything needs to be big. If I'm, <laughs> if I, if I'm big, if I'm big, I've got a big body. If I've got a big bank account, if I've got a, 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 a in relationship with a woman who's got big breasts, so, you know, everything is big. And, and why do we feel we need to have big and that the big is so important? Because ultimately it helps us to feel safe. It covers up, I think, often a fragile masculinity, a fragile mm-hmm. sense of self. So we're kind of shoring up our masculinity through having an experience external bigness. Now, there's a real um, growth, certainly in the UK, and I'm no doubt probably in the US as well, in terms of bodybuilding for men, for young men. You know, boys are going to the gym, they're building their bodies, they're sculpting, they're having to be a certain shape. And (laughs) for me, this is this sense. This is sense of like, okay, uh, you'll see this, you'll see how solid, how um, big I am. And I, and, and in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. <coughs> Excuse me. But in another way, there's a sense of, well, it's this hardening up, this idea of um, I, nobody can penetrate me 
Nobody can mm. come near me is, is kind of a, a self-protection ultimately. And I think the, the idea of hard and big um, kind of stops and prevents men from becoming tender and warm and soft, if you like. Where we, and this is, this is how we connect. Um, so yeah. for me, I suppose I'm questioning the idea of the concept of actually bigness is not going to help us to connect. Well, when it makes someone one-dimensional, James, when that becomes the only defense, as you say, against being inferior or feeling inadequate, it leaves them without any other resources to acknowledge these resources for themselves or to bring them to the workplace or into a relationship. So it is, um, my first association to this, by the way, is um, the first book I, I wrote with two profe- two colleagues, and we had never seen the editor, but he was so brilliant, we could not wait to meet him. So when the book was finally ready to be published, we met him in a restaurant, and every, every well, just to show you, everyone buys into the stereotype, every tall man who walked in, we said, that must be him. Then a very, very small man walked in, and he came over to us, and I will tell you, James, when he opened his mouth, it had nothing to do with height. He was so brilliant. But I'll never forget the stereotype that we had internalized. Mm. And we thought, if he's brilliant, he must be tall. Why? Hello? <laughs> That's just not the case. Yeah. But I think it's a, it's a shared stereotype, but it really locks, mm-hmm. once again, it, like the masculine stereotype, it locks people into one dimension. And it even locks people v- viewing other people with misguided, you know, notions that really are not true so it's i'm so glad you put that one in Mm, the next one you you put put in is men long to be looked after and looked up to yeah yes so i i think that is this sense of um you know i think we all want to be looked after and, and and in the book i describe what often happens in relationships how we flip in, in relationships between the parent-child kind of uh, idea. So one of us may become the parent in, in a given situation, the other takes the role of, of, of the child. And I suppose my, my, there, there's a real issue here, I think, in terms of my research and work with men and within my own life, that I think often men struggle to grow up. And we end up, and often people accuse men of being quite selfish, and I think that's true. I think we often stay in this kind of um, boy-child, kid-old place. Um, and I think women often have an advantage here, because I, in terms of the body even, you know, women, young girls learn very early on uh, to be connected with their body. They, their body's changing, they're bleeding, so there's a sense of they're having to become a lot more connected. And, and they, they also, g- girls and women, often learn, learn to, to look after others. Yes. And so this idea of um, us as men, often we've not learned to look after ourselves and we've not learned to look after others. And this comes out in if we have physical health problems and almost always if we have an emotional emotional health problems this has become this area has become very important for me in terms of self-care of what 
is it? What have boys and men learnt about looking after ourselves? And you could say, and I think this is true as well, that many boys and men have learned to become self-reliant, as in, I don't actually need anybody. So mm-hmm. I don't say anything to anybody. I don't, I don't ask for help. So there is that side, which it, it feels kind of quite, um, uh, you know, contradictory almost. Um, and yet, when we... But, so we, we have that, because I don't think we trust that others will look after us, but we long to be looked after. And so I often say, look, what, in relationships, often what happens is men, they, wanna, they, want, they, they want the mother... They want the, the mother to look after them practically, and they want the whore to look after them sexually. And well, so it's all about, actually, you do something for me. Because I'm, and, you know, you, and you almost the ideal is you initiate it. Don't, I don't, don't even ask. I don't want to even ask. So you know, that, I, for I me, I think... Go on. Go ahead. I had, I, had no, done, I, I, did a, I did a blog once, James, on the reason men have affairs... And I said it, it has very little to do with looking for sexuality. It has to do with the fact that men love being attended to and looked up to in the office setting where many connections are made. And that's yep. the spark. It's exactly what you're saying, that urge to be looked yep. after. He's the boss. So, but not only am I taking care of him, I'm looking up to him. And then he gets sexualized because over the years, yeah. the average man who's having an affair is not—he's not leaving his family. But there's something in this that meets some sort of primitive need of being taken care of and looked up to. That is a real trap, of course. Um, but I do mm. think you're right in that we want men to have outgrown this by the time they're in the workplace. And I also agree that. When a young man decides he can do everything for himself, he doesn't need anybody, he doesn't need a relationship, I do think it's often a defense against terror of being rejected or, you know, all right, I'm not going to play and I'm not, I'm not getting involved at all. I'll just take care of myself. But there's a lonely component into that. So, you know, we both know that defenses work, but at a cost. And so I, I, I like your example of the overly individual don't need anybody young man as really dealing with this in some way. What do you suggest to your men who complain that once the baby came along, nobody's taking care of them? <laughs> well, yeah, well, it, the, and that's it, that's it, isn't it? I think this is the, the, uh, the, the, the work, the hard work of growing up emotionally. And for me, I think this is all based around a, if, if, uh, a lack of emotional fitness. If men at that point when they're having children are still wanting their female partner to, to give them that kind of attention, and of course we all want this attention and we want that to be back, intimacy is really important. But ultimately this is why we need to develop emotional fitness. I need yeah. to develop ways of being able to identify and be with difficult emotions, uncomfortable emotions, and I need to learn to self-soothe. Ultimately, and yes. I think this is one of the key issues that often a lot of men have not learned. We've not learned to self-soothe, so we we end up being looking for external soothers, and those external soothers, of course, are sex, porn, um, work, substances, gambling. Um, you know, going up to the ranks in work, and and when uh, they when they're not working, when they're taken away, then we've got nothing, and that's where we we get into problems. Very well said. We're going to have to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with James Howes. His new book is 
The Secret Lives of Men, 10 Keys to Unlock the Mystery. We have been unlocking the mysteries and will continue to do so. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listen for Go to Health Radio, featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your healthcare needs and reputable healthcare experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for joining us. We're here talking with James Howes, and we're unraveling the the 10 keys to unlock the mystery of men's feelings. And we're just up to speaking about the fact that men's vulnerable feelings are often expressed as or masked with anger. Yes. So I, I, I think in all of my work with boys and men, I've come and I think I've tested this out with hundreds, if not thousands of men, um, individually and in groups that anger has become our almost dominant, if you like, or default emotion as men. Mm-hmm. It's almost like this is the only one we've got. And so, it, and it's, it, this is very, very common. And so the idea that we end up then squeezing all of our other emotions, our vulnerable emotions, especially sadness, anxiety, shame, hurt, disappointment, through um, this channel of anger. And, and when I say anger... Anger can be expressed in different ways. I try and break anger down into kind of four, four or five different uh, ways of expressing that. And it could be rage, 
um, which I think is an old anger. It could be aggressiveness, which is externalized anger, passive anger, which is internalized anger, or passive-aggressive anger, which is hidden or subtle anger. And the more healthy approach, perhaps, would be assertive, assertive anger. Um, so for me, what, if we're trapped, if this is all we've got, um, then it becomes problematic. And this mm-hmm. is what it gets in the way of a lot of growth um, in terms of relational fitness. So needing to be able to, um, and I'm not really interested in helping men to almost manage their anger. I'm more interested in helping them become more aware of their anger. And of course, this comes back into and leads into emotional fitness. If, we, if, if we're more emotionally fit, more connected with our emotions, we can express the right feeling at the right time in the right way to the right person. I, I love what you're saying because look at what we know about depression, even suicide, how often it's masked by anger, James. Um, mm. you know, and, and even mourning and loss after 9-11, we're coming up to that 20th anniversary. How many of the uh, firefighters were enraged, but it was so hard for them mm. to cry. So mm. I think it, I love the fact that you try to help them to see the feeling behind it rather than just manage it because it's a symptom of that feeling. Terrific. Um, Okay, one of the other things you talk about is um, men's intimate feelings are often sexualized. Yeah, so I think, again, intimacy, men and intimacy is something that I'm really trying to engage with a lot more at the moment. And so when I speak and talk about uh, intimacy and men, often when I think what men have learned um, is sex, equals intimacy. Now, so, and if that is true, if, if, only, if men can only be intimate with other people via sex, then it ultimately reduces relationships, reduces connections um, with other people. And in the book I explore a lot in my couple work, it, I'm really interested in, um, yes, there's physical intimacy, but I'm really interested in psychological intimacy. Mm-hmm. And again, we come back to this idea of psychological intimacy. If we're going to be psychological in- intimate, we need to be able to talk about our feelings, talk about what's going on inside of us. Um, and so for me, if we reduce intimacy to sex, it is very problematic in terms of um, um, growth growth individually, and, and of course, relational growth. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. We need to make eye contact. We need to notice different moments. We need to compliment. Of course, uh, I love what you're saying. Um, now, here's one that I know everyone out there is going to relate to, young and old men, <laughs> middle-aged, self-esteem based on performance, James. Yeah, so I think, um, again, within a lot of my work with men, I what I've understood, I think, is this concept of performance-based self-esteem. So, and, and this is a driver, I think, for a lot of men wanting to be successful. And there's never, we've never reached the pinnacle of success. So, because, so we've learned ultimately, well, if we can perform at a high level, we will get rewards. We will feel good about ourselves. Other people will get rewards from other people. So this concept that is, again, it's external, that when we cease to perform or we cease to get the plaudits externally, 
then that is going to affect our self-esteem. Rather than our self-esteem being based, our self-regard being based on what, what we understand and how we love ourselves and how we care for ourselves, it's coming from outside. And I think there is, a, for me, often a connection here with why is this so important. And I often think that there's so many of us as men, we're still looking for the well done. We're still mm. looking for the, I love you, you're enough. And this is often, I think, so many boys and adult men, adult sons out there have never heard their father say, son, I love you. Son, I'm really proud of you. They've not mm. heard it. And they're striving for that. Those golden words, if you like, just to be noticed by uh, their father, maybe their mother. But that, and, and so... What do we do? We need, need to keep going. We need to keep driving. We need to keep looking. We're not good enough. We need to get more and better and better and better. Mm, that's so true. And many have, as you say, many have never heard I love you without it being tied to some performance just because of who you are. Mm. Yep, it's wonderful. So I'm going to jump yep. to this one because I love this one. Men long to be in the company of other men. Yeah, well, yes, absolutely. I mean, men, don't we? We talk about um, mates, the men um, love to be in teams, you know, in terms of, and that's why sport is so massive. They love to be in music bands. They love to be in lots of things where we're doing something together. We've got our mates. Nobody wants to be a Billy No Mates. You know, so <laughs> this idea of having this is really important. Um, I often say it's there's there's not always, and I think I think it's slightly changing. But if you know, if we've, oh, we can spend a lot of time in groups, and we can spend a lot of time with our friends. But I have often I often tell a story that we can we can be in the company of our best mate, you know, in the team or band with our best mates for um, twenty twenty five years. And within those 20 or 25 years, we've never said to our friends, do you know what, Joe, I really love you, or I really like being in your company. They've, they've never heard it. And this is a tra travesty, you know, and, and a tragedy. that Even though we may be in the company of other men, that we've not actually been able to express our love or our care for them. And so it leaves men emotionally isolated so and i think this is a real important thing when we you know you touched on suicide just a, a minute ago and how often do we hear the the best friend of the person who's just taken their lives i didn't know i have mm. i didn't know what was going on I, and i'm thinking how did we not know how did right. that happen now i know it's a lot more complex than that but i think there is something here that we need to start talking about, with our mates, about how we feel, what's going on for us. And that takes courage. And that takes vulnerability. And, be, and there's a real fear, of course, this is where shame comes in. Well, if I say that, are they going to mock me? Are they going to put me down? Or are they going to be able to receive it? And almost always now, they, other men would receive that. So I, I think the idea of being in a, a, a growthful group, and I end this chapter on, look, I think some of the most, in terms of building authentic relationships through men's groups and stuff like that is really important, where we can start talking and expressing our full self 
and where we have a safe place to do that rather than feeling we need to kind of be cautious about what we say and, and, and how we behave. You know, I think it's absolutely true what you're saying, that you they can be forever next to each other and not say it. But I have hope because I see my sons who are millennials and your sons are younger. They are a little better at this. They actually are. Um, and I, I know it depends on culture and parents, etc. but I see yeah, so yeah. much more expression of emotions. Now, in the interest of time, James, I want... First of all, I want to thank you because you really demonstrate your belief that men can change and evolve. And that, your mm. spirit about it, is something I'm, I'm so delighted you shared with our listeners today. Tell us a little bit about the Emotional Gym program that you're going to put online because I think it's probably something that many people could benefit from. Yeah, so this, yes, yeah, so um, in, in autumn we're going to be launching the Emotional Gym. Um, and, and ultimately, it's, it's kind of, a, and I, for many, many years, I've been trying to work with the stigma of emotional mental health and the idea of bringing a parity between physical fitness and emotional fitness. So, i.e., the idea of the gym. We'll go to the gym to exercise our bodies. We need to go to the gym to exercise our emotions as well. So the gym, the emotional gym online, will basically be kind of a bit like where we go to the physical gym. You join, you, join, you become a member. You can sign up to different programs. So there'll be classes on, let's say, anger, there might be one on anxiety, there'll be stuff on stress, and, and alongside that, there'll be, so there'll be physical, there'll be physical activities always alongside our classes, and people can also, um, there'll be live events, um, um, or live classes, as I should say, and also, we're going we're to be probably connecting this to an app where we will just if say, okay, I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety, we'll have a one minute where you can just uh, tap in a physical thing, a physical activity will come up to help us with anxiety. Wow, so this is nice. the concept where, yes. So people, it'll be very, um, um, people can ac- access it very quickly, but equally if you wanted to say do a work, okay, I need to do some solid work on, on anger or whatever it will be, we'll be building up the platform, um, then you can tap into to, to a six-week class or, or six-hour six class on anger. And, and, and then you may be able to, if you feel you need more, you'll be able to sign up to a live um, coach to help you with your anger. So, James, how would people access you? How do people find you and how would they find your book and, and, the, and the Emotional Gym program that's going to be coming up in the fall? Okay, so The Secret Lives of Men, you can, you can find on Amazon. Um, there's some great reviews on there of the book, um, and you can have a flick through that book as well on Amazon. Um, in terms of finding me, you can email me um, at synergyinfo at btinternet.com. The, the domain name for The Emotional Gym is theemotional-gym.com. As I say, you won't be able to find that yet, but it will be coming online in September. Okay, it sounds great. Well, I just want us to, I want to thank you for coming on, and I want to just read a quote that you use in the book that I think I thought was so special. You said, when men share their feelings with other men, it is like a coming home experience. I, I love it, and I think it's true. So thank Brilliant. you for thank coming you. on, for touching our listeners. It's been, a, it's been a wonderful show. I want to thank my listeners. Now, remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast 
on my site, my website, and on any platform that has podcasts. We are you can find Psych Up Live and this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, Amazon Audible, Google Play, Spotify. It will be up by six PM Eastern time. And so Please listen in or, or, or pass the link so others can hear what James had to share today. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Thank you again, James, for coming on and for speaking to us all the way from the UK. You're doing wonderful work with men, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you joined us today. Brilliant. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks for having me. Okay. Until next week. Please be safe, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.